Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. You may be seated. It is great to see all of you this morning. Uh, it's been a, a time this morning that I know the Lord has been here. The Spirit's been moving in worship this morning. And it's been exciting to see, but now we're going to turn to Acts chapter 22 as we continue studying through the book of Acts and taking a look at what um, was happening in the early church and the way that the Lord was actually moving uh, shortly after his departure here from the earth. And then the Holy Spirit arrived and the church was launched. I want to begin this morning uh, with a verse from the book of Isaiah as you're turning over to as you're turning over to Acts chapter 22 and we'll get there in, in just a minute. We won't read all of it, but we're going to read through uh, a good bit of it. Um, Acts chapter 22 is where we'll be, so if you'll turn over there. I'll begin with Isaiah 30 verse 18. I was captivated by this verse um, just to give you a little bit of a, a background in, in reading through Acts chapter 22 and wrestling with, with what I felt the Lord wanted us to study and what was going to be our takeaway from this passage of Scripture as we've looked at the Apostle Paul's life for a number of weeks, months now, actually. Um, and I was really struggling with a direction to go. And so I went back and I, I've, what I've done is I've actually combined a number of my sermons uh, into one sermon. And so if I usually preach 30 minutes, and I know that that's being gracious on my part, right? If I usually preach 30 minutes and I've combined four sermons, that gives me two hours, right? No. It was worth a shot. Um, but I, I, in struggling through Acts chapter 22, and what is, what is God saying to us as Whitechapel in this moment? Um, I, I went back and I pulled bits and pieces from several things that gives us a direction on what God actually wants, to us, what wants us to say. The verse that I really focused on, though, was from Isaiah 30, verse 18, and this is it. And I want you to catch what God is saying to us through the prophet this morning, because it was true then, it's true now. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Isn't that an amazing verse? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Now, now think about this with me, if you will, before we dive into Acts chapter 22. God who created the universe and spoke the world into existence longs to be gracious to you. God who was there in the garden with Adam and Eve longs to be gracious to you. God who was with David whenever he was standing before Goliath and empowered David to take out the giant for the sake of his people longs to be gracious with you. Jesus, who died on the cross, then was buried in the tomb and rose up from the grave and then later ascended to the throne 
who now is reigning and ruling in heaven, longs to be gracious to you. This verse spoken through the prophet Isaiah is such an amazing verse because it reminds us not just to the people that Isaiah was speaking to then, but for every single one of us right now, the Lord longs to be gracious to each and every one of us. And the beautiful thing, I think, for us at this moment in Whitechapel Church, at, at this place in our history, our n- over 90-year history as a church where we gather together, and the Lord has placed us here together in 2023, is in this refuge of grace, this has to be a verse that we actually grasp, understand, and apply in every way of our life. And so as I've prayed about today, I've, I've prayed that this would be a verse that pushes us deeper in the Word of God to understand the grace that He has given to each one of us. He longs to be gracious to us, that He has bestowed upon us His grace so that we live out what it's like to be a refuge of grace here in Volusia County right now. But you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible is always true. It's never wrong. Despite the lies of the enemy and despite some people that might doubt the word of God, those are lies from the enemy. And the Bible is always true. It tells the truth. And to prove it, if you go back and you read through the scripture, it doesn't just gloss things over and tell the amazing things of people's lives, all of the good, and it leaves out the bad. If you read through someone's biography, they're going to tell you primarily the good stuff. There'll be some other things that'll, that are sprinkled in there, but they're going to focus on the good things that they've done in their life, except for people primarily who've been Uh, who've experienced the grace of God. You're going to focus on the good stuff. And then we dive into the Scripture, and the Scripture doesn't just give us the good stuff, but we get the good and the bad. We don't just see how God created, but then we see how God's creation in Adam and Eve, who were with God, who were perfect from the beginning, then sought sin over God, and then were expelled from the garden. We read some of the heroes of our faith throughout the Scripture, and we find in the Scripture that we don't just get the good stuff, but we also get all of the bad stuff. We fast forward and we finally get to the point of Noah, where we see in the days of Noah that God actually was sorry. He grieved himself that he had actually created man because the world had become so evil and turned their back on God. If the Bible was false, we wouldn't get that part of the story. We would skip over all of that and just see the amazing things that God had done over and over and over and over. And so God finally decided that he was going to destroy the earth. He saved Noah and all of his family. And what a testimony of Noah. What a testimony of Noah's family of how the Lord was gracious to them in that. But then what happens is Noah gets out of the ark and he gets drunk and he fell asleep naked in his tent and he was disgraced. See, the Bible gives us the good and the bad. And then we keep going. We can go story after story. One that is one that we all know is the story of King David. How David was anointed and chosen as the king. And then he finally becomes the king, goes through all of that after a great period of waiting. He finally becomes king, has an affair, crafts a plot to kill the husband of the woman that he actually had an affair with, 
Then he tries to cover it up. He repents, and then he realizes only God can get him out of the mess that he's actually on. We go on and on and on. The Bible is true. Because we get the good and we get the bad, but in every single step of the way, it's just like what we sing today, God is always at work. In the midst of the struggles and the tension of the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will, God is always at work. Now, these were people from the Old Testament that I've talked about primarily. What had happened in those olden days, and this is what Paul is actually addressing in Acts chapter 22, so we'll get there in just a second. But what happened in those olden days, if you will, from the Old Testament, is the law had been established, and that law was God drawing a line. And he was saying, if you want to be my people, then this is the mark that you have to hit. And so they crafted the law. It was laid out, and God said, this is what it takes to actually be my children. And nobody could ever live up to that mark. Everyone failed constantly over and over and over. And so there was this process of what it was like to have to sacrifice for your sins. We see the holy days. We see the feast. We see the rituals. We see all of the pomp and circumstance. We see over and over and over people missing that mark despite the law that was actually given of what it took to actually be in relationship with God. And Isaiah the prophet actually comes along, and he says again to us, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. God wants to give you his grace. You can't live up to the mark. You've missed what it takes to be a child of God and to be in relationship with him, but inside of his heart, he's longing to be gracious to you. And here comes the apostle Paul. Paul knew the law. Paul lived up to the law. Paul was doing everything he could to kill people that didn't uphold to the law. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and he has this experience with God Almighty. And Paul is, com uh, Paul is combating this, this Old Testament covenant of saying the law is no longer the law, but instead it's actually been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that bar that God actually drew in the uh, that God actually drew and said, "You've got to live up and and hit this bar." God has fulfilled the promise of actually being gracious, and He has done that in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes about preaching the gospel, not just to those who kept the law, but God wanted his grace to be for all mankind. And so Paul is preaching this gospel despite killing those who were Christians, uh, has an encounter with God, now is preaching the gospel to everybody so that people are experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. We get to Acts chapter 22. And Paul just begins to share his testimony. So you remember last week, we see that Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem. Paul is going through the rituals that's been outlined in the law, saying that I uphold and I understand what those traditions are. And so he's gone through this purification process. He's now been in Jerusalem for a little over a week or more. The mob rises up against him and says, this man has got to be killed because he's speaking out against the law that we actually have. And he's saying that we don't have to abide by the law anymore. And the reason was because the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 13, 
30 had actually come and God had given his grace to his people. There had been this shift now that God wasn't working through the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law so that we would all be able to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul's arrested. Rome actually has to step in. Uh, Some of the soldiers actually now have tried to bring peace into the middle of Jerusalem, and we get to Acts chapter 22. So if you'll follow along, we're now going to read where Paul has said, hey, I want to address, uh, I want to address this crowd. We end chapter 21, and that's what Paul says. Chapter 22 are Paul's words. Paul says in verse 1, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up, by, brought up in this city under Gamaliel, and was just as zealous for God as any of you were today. I persecuted the followers of this way, those are the Christians, persecuted them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Now remember the, or think about the conflict here that's actually in the Apostle Paul right now. Jesus came and people have turned from the law and they're now experiencing grace in this moment. You remember what happened whenever Jesus was crucified on the cross? The veil of the temple where people were made right with God, and sin debt was actually paid in that place. The veil of the temple was torn in two because Jesus had stepped in to fulfill his promise of longing to be gracious and bringing his grace actually to his people. And Paul was killing these people. He was killing them. Paul didn't get to interact with Jesus that we know of while he was here on the earth. Jesus was crucified, rose again, and appeared back for a month or so here on the face of the earth, who then ascended. Paul goes out and starts killing all of these people, speaking against the law. And then Jesus, who's now reigning in heaven, comes back and has this encounter with the Apostle Paul in some way, shape, or form. And Paul is actually having a conversation with the Savior, with God, Who's given us his grace. Verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand in Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. 
Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another in prison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away into the Gentiles. So we think about what Paul is actually sharing here. We actually can, if we think about this experience, and uh, we can't actually comprehend in totality because we don't have all of the details. We just have a few accounts of what's actually happened. But uh, when we see what Paul has actually experienced here, it's actually changed his life because he's gone from killing Christians to now becoming a Christian, and then he's going out preaching the good news of the grace of God so that others can actually become Christians and followers of Jesus Christ and step out of the burden of the law and step into the grace of Jesus Christ. And so here in listening to Paul's, what he says is his actual defense in verse 1, is really Paul's testimony. It's Paul's uh, God uh, realizing or God bringing Paul to experience what his calling was and the actual purpose for which God had created him that was revealed through the words of Ananias after Paul was miraculously healed. And Paul gives us, or we actually see in verse 16, through Ananias' words, Paul's testimony. Verse 16 says this, And now, what are you waiting for? Ananias saying this to Paul. What is it that you're actually waiting for? God appeared to you. He spoke direct to you. He sent you here. You've been miraculously healed now from the blindness in your encounter with God. So what is it that you're actually waiting for? And Ananias says to Paul the words that Paul would eventually live out the rest of his life. Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so when Paul began his relationship with the Lord years ago from this point in Acts chapter 22, this is what launched Paul into the grace of Jesus Christ and moved him from the, from the saving of the law into the saving of the grace that God came in the flesh to give to all people. This is Paul's actual, actual testimony. And what Paul is saying, no longer am I bound by religious ritual, no longer am I bound by the law, but instead the sins that I carry, the imperfections that I have, all of the times that I've not lived up to that line or that expectation of what God had said I have to achieve, now all of that for Paul was nailed to the cross. All of the sin and all of the shame no longer rested in this world, but instead it had completely been erased by the grace of God. This is what Isaiah was talking about. 
when the prophet said, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to give you his grace so that you can remove yourself from the sin and the shame and the power of Satan in this world and now live empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of those Old Testament regulations no longer held the power over God's people. But instead, they had been liberated by all of these four, five hundred-ish rules that they had to obey. They had experienced the grace of God and were liberated from the bondage that's actually in this world. You see, we in a refuge of grace have to understand what Paul is actually saying here in his testimony. This is my defense, he says. I used to be this, but now I'm saved by the grace of God. And he proudly proclaimed it, and this is why they killed him, because of the grace of God. But you know, the people that came against Paul, because he didn't observe all of the law, and because he was preaching that the law is not going to make you right with God, but instead it was God's grace alone that would make you right with God. It's not a lot different from what sometimes we let ourselves get hooked into sometimes in the church today. We think that God has done his part and we have to do our part in order to be saved. We think that, sure, God came and he died on the cross for me. God came and he gave us life for me. He shed his own blood so that I could be saved. So God did his part, therefore I have to do my part as well. Listen, that's a lie from the enemy. God does not need our help. What God has done is sufficient for every single one of us in giving us his grace. But we get hooked into this lie or this deceptiveness from the enemy that think, oh, God did his part, therefore I have to do my part. And my part is I have to read my Bible every day, I have to go to church on Sunday, I have to be a part of a community group, I have to tie to the church, I've got to get baptized, I've got to pray, I've got to do this, I've got to do all of this stuff so that I can actually be right with God. Those things are valuable things. And if you love God, your heart is going to lead you to do those things. However, we can't uh, fall into the prey of the enemy to think that those are the things that actually make us right with God. The only thing that makes you right with God is what Paul actually experienced in his life and what Paul was preaching for. The only thing that makes you right with God is the blood of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we can't think that our help is actually needed by God. Paul, in writing to the Colossian believers, actually said this in Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What Paul is saying is when you were trying to live up to the mark of what God expected and have a relationship with him, you missed it and you were dead in those sins because you could never be perfect. Instead, God came and he gave you his grace and he made you alive in himself. He goes on to say, he forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Listen, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
You see, what Jesus did is sufficient, Paul is saying. It's all about his grace in our lives. And we have to be a people, and this is what Paul is I believe what Paul is actually saying and living out here, we have to be a people that has to stop trying to help God give us his grace. Because God has given us his grace, we simply have to be receivers of that gift. We think God did his part, so I have to do my part. We don't have to do our part. God has done his part, and that is enough because he nailed it to the cross. And if we receive his grace, we have been made alive in Jesus Christ and are no longer dead to the laws of this world and the sin in which we were undone. It's God's grace that he has given to us as his free gift. What we have to do is ask the question, what must we do in order to be saved? And outside of the bondage of the law and outside of the bondage of our sin, what do we have to do to step out from that and to experience the grace of God? Paul experienced this in Acts chapter 16. He was in jail. And when he was in jail and they were just worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit actually showed up. There was an earthquake. And the jailer was actually moved by that in Acts 16. And the jailer said, what do I have to do to be saved? You know what the response was? It wasn't go down to the temple and purify yourself. Paul did not say back to the jailer, what you have to do is start giving sacrifice so that you can be made, with, made right with God. He didn't say, go do good and try your best and do everything you can to make it to that mark of the expectation from God of what it takes to be in relationship with him. They didn't say any of those things to God, to the jailer. What they said back to the jailer in Acts chapter 16, whenever he asked, what do I have to do to be saved? It was simply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Receive the grace of God is what they were saying. Receive the grace and let the grace of God shape every single area of your life. I want you to write this down if you would. God has already done everything necessary for my salvation. And then when the enemy comes to you and he lies and says, you're not doing X, you're not doing Y, and you're not doing Z, tell him, listen, I don't do that kind of math. I don't play those types of games because God has already done everything necessary for my salvation. And I have been made right by God, not by anything that I've ever done, not by anything that I could ever do, but instead I have been made right by God because of the things that God did to be gracious to me. This is what we have to experience as a refuge of grace so that other people can fully experience the experience that we've had as people that are filled with his grace. We cannot try to establish ourselves the way that they were doing in the book of Isaiah as filthy rags and say, we are filthy, but we do X, Y, and Z. We abide by this rule, this law, and we go through this religious practice, and so therefore we have to be made right with God. But instead, it was the righteousness of God who came to give us his grace so that we would no longer be lost and undone, but instead, through our sins and through the flesh that we live in, it was nailed to the cross. Our part in our relationship with God is simply to keep our eyes on him and follow him. And then if we do that, 
we can live out his grace in every area of our life. If we keep our eyes on him, and we're just seeking him first in every area of our life, then it's all God. It's not us. Because we're not keeping our eyes on us. We're not keeping our eyes on what we have done or we could potentially do. We're not patting ourselves on the back, but instead we're just championing the grace of God in our life. It's God's grace. It's all of God, and it is none of us. So one of the messages I actually pulled back and I went back and read was one that I did in chapel for Warner last year. And I'm not going to do this this morning, but I took a bottle of water to wake up the kids in chapel, and I shook the bottle of water, and I made sure that I shook it, and I threw it, and I got it on, at that point, the seniors actually set up here in the very front, and they lined the first couple of rows, and I made sure that all the seniors got a nice little bath from the bottle of water that I had on that Sunday, or on that uh, Thursday for chapel. And I did that as an illustration to ask this question. Why did you get wet? Well, the reason that they got wet was because I took water and I poured the water on them. They got wet because they got water on them. Well, why did, why did they get water on them? It's because water was what was inside of the bottle. Had Kool-Aid been inside the bottle and I shook the bottle they would have gotten Kool-Aid all over them. You can't shake the bottle and expect something that's in the bottle to come out of the bottle that's not inside the bottle. Have you ever gotten a drink when you go, to, uh, go through a drive-thru, let's say, and you go through the drive-thru, let's say that you ordered um, a sweet tea, and you put the straw in, and you take a drink, and you're expecting sweet tea, but instead you get Diet Coke, right? Why did you get Diet Coke? Because that's what was in the cup. You didn't get sweet tea because Diet Coke was what was in the cup. The point is whatever's in the cup, whatever's in the bottle, is the only thing that can come outside of the bottle. And that's what I'm saying about the grace of God in this refuge of grace. If we want to be a refuge of grace, then grace has to reign supreme inside of a refuge of grace. Because when we get shaken, and we will get shaken... And when things become unsettled, if wrath is inside of the bottle, then wrath is going to come out. If jealousy is inside of the bottle, then jealousy is what's going to come out. If anger is inside of the bottle, when we get shaken, then anger is actually going to come outside of the bottle. But if God's grace is inside of the bottle... Whenever we get shaken, then the only thing that can come out of the bottle is grace because that's what's in the bottle. And that's what's happening in Paul's life right here. Grace is coming out of Paul's life. Now listen, he was arrested. He was beaten before he starts giving his defense. They were already beginning to take his life. But did condemnation come out of Paul? Absolutely not. What come out of Paul whenever he was shaken? It was the grace of God Almighty. Why? Because Paul had grace inside of him. And this refuge of grace in every area of this ministry, and it starts with us, we have to make sure that it is the grace of God that is inside of us.
And whenever anger rises, whenever jealousy or whatever else that is not of the Lord arises inside of us, we have to say, hang on just a second. I have to crucify that and step back into the grace of Jesus Christ so that raises up inside of me. Now listen, not one of us are perfect in this. None of us, none of us can ever be. It was only Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. We can read in some of his letters how that was the case. But you know what? Because of the grace of God, in those moments that we stumble or we fall, we can repent and come back to the grace of God. I shared that with some of the Old Testament folks as we started our message this morning. We saw it in Adam and Eve. We saw it in Noah. We saw it in David. We could go on and on and on. They went through the process of actually being made right with God, of how God was revealing himself in that time. But now that we have God's grace, we do not have to go through those processes in order to be made right with God because God has done everything necessary for our salvation. Now, we can step away from that and turn our back on God's salvation because the choice is always, always ourselves. Do we want to walk forward in the grace of God or do we want to turn our back on the grace of God? What God is saying is if you're willing, he is willing because he did everything necessary for your relationship to actually be with him. God is grace, and he longs to be gracious with every single one of us. So I believe what we have to take away from Acts chapter 22 is exactly what Paul was living out here. We have to be vessels of grace. You know what a refuge of grace is? It's a group of people who've come together to experience God's grace that are now filled up with grace who actually become vessels of grace. We have to be God's vessels of grace absolutely everywhere we go. We have to be known as people who are treating each other and those that we encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. Now there was a, a deep, radical, racial divide that was actually taking place here. And how did Paul combat that? He, he combated it with the grace of God. He didn't put together some plan. He didn't put together some roadmap. He didn't come up with a thesis or any of those types of things. He just was a vessel of God's grace. And he saw how Jesus modeled it. He saw how the apostles modeled it. And he then began to model it himself. Whitechapel Church, God has actually called us to be a refuge of grace to this community. And in order for that to happen, we have to be vessels of grace, totally emptied of all of ourselves, so that we can be filled with all of the grace of God Almighty. Our actions and our lives have to be the testament to the power of the grace of God, who we, like Paul, who once who may have killed or persecuted Christians, now changed by the grace of God, becoming a vessel of grace to make sure that everybody is experiencing the grace of God, the grace of God Almighty. Why? Because God has already done everything necessary for your salvation. He has already given you his grace, and his grace is enough. So my question for you this morning is where do you need God's grace in your life? In your vessel, in your vessel, where do you need God's grace? 
Is there an area that you may have been hanging on to for a while thinking, oh, that's, that's okay, that's just who I am, that's, it's just how God made me, and so I'm just going to overlook that one for a while. I'm, I'm going to do some other things, and I'm going to be okay because, you know, that's just that one area. Do you need, do you, is today the day that you need God's grace in that area in your life? What if we, what if we asked this morning, God, where do you need to cleanse my vessel so that I can truly be a vessel of grace? So that whenever I'm shaken and whenever something happens in my life, nothing comes out of me except God's grace. Where do you need God's grace? In your vessel. Is God's grace enough? Absolutely it is. But God's grace is only enough when we surrender completely to him and empty our own vessels completely so that he can fill us with his Holy Spirit to empower us to become vessels of grace. What was it that Ananias said to Paul? Ananias said, and now, what are you waiting for? So I say to you this morning, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for in your vessel? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Get up this morning, surrender to Jesus Christ, and let his grace cleanse every bit of our vessels so that we then become true vessels of his grace. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.